Hello, tune in listeners and viewers. You are listening to or tuned into Tune In. It's radio for your mind, body, and soul. And I am your host, Keila Parkinson. We are talking as we do every week about mindfulness in all of its ways. So many ways to accompany to accompany mindfulness and to bring that into our lives. We like to talk about the day-to-day ways that we can use it and also the esoteric. And today we're going to blend the two with our lovely guest. Please help me welcome Jen Berlingo. Welcome, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And Jen is, um, among many things, she is the author of an amazing new book called Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire. And it is specifically written for women in the midlife time of life, which is the time of life I'm in. So it really appeals to me. And um, in addition, Jen is a visual artist. She is an art therapist. She's based in Boulder, Colorado. And she has two decades of working with women in particular, I mean, lots of people, I think, but also helping women to kind of like blossom into the world and lean into midlife emergence versus midlife crisis. And I think that is super empowering. So tell us all about it, Jen. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Hi. Yeah, um, I've been working as a midlife coach more recently, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and art therapist. So for the past couple of decades, I really have been working to um, kind of midwife women through life's Mm. transitions and actually all genders. But um, more recently in writing the book, I've been, uh, you know, the book is part memoir. So it's my own experience as a woman uh, in midlife in Generation X um, and, you know, how I was socialized into this, um, into being a woman and a girl and like Many of my clients, I'm a recovering good girl, recovering people pleaser. So a lot of those people come to see me, um, yeah, to work with really realigning to their more authentic self and their, you know, core truth and midlife. I so, love that. Yeah, midlife, um, yeah, it can range too. It's like yeah. late 30s to mid 60s, like the whole gamut in there. Right. Um, I'm in my late 40s and I wrote my book really about that first decade of midlife when it's I think of it as like a waiting room between Mm -hmm. the first half of life and the second half of life where you can have this opportunity really to um, decide what you want the second half of your life to be and to reauthor it in a way that feels more congruent to itself. So that's so beautiful. And, you know, I love that you're, you're doing it with intention, right? So often I think that I believe I was actually reading this in your book, how many people just sort of like, they don't picture the second half, right? And they're just like, okay, what comes next? I don't know. And so unfortunately, that's when a lot of people just check out. And I don't mean just like turn into zombies. I mean, like, that's when we die. That's when we're like, okay, now I'm getting the cancer or now I am having the heart attack after I retire, like whatever that looks like, you you know, say you retire early at 55, whatever, like kind of that old trope of like, you know, (laughs) I did the thing and now I'm done. And, and we know that we can go on for, you know, a long, long time. I myself just turned 50 in January. It's been a big thing. I think I've mentioned it many shows Mm -hmm. now, right? And because it's just such a big deal to me because I had this moment of understanding that suddenly my life was finite. Suddenly I realized if I'm lucky, I have half my life left. And then I was like, what am I going to do with it? And so you have asked the same questions for many people and for yourself. And thank you for writing this book and doing this for all of us. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it feels timely. I mean, for me mm-hmm. and my friends and my clients, but also I still get that there's like an urgency. Um, I definitely felt that in, in this coming into the second half of life and having that kind of dawn on me. Um, and you're right. I think um, in my book, I do write about 
there was a book I read called The Adult Years, I think, in my graduate training uh, 20 some years ago. <laughs> and in it, he says, like, a lot of people die psychologically mm-hmm. in midlife. They go on physically, but psychologically, they're just like, well, this is the groove I'm in. This is what yeah. I'm committed to. And, you know, instead of the growth um, and the exploration of new things. And I feel like it's a hard time of life to actually, um, you know, the stakes can be pretty high because we have so many commitments by this point in life, like to, you know, careers, marriages, children, aging parents, like whatever your life looks like, you're pretty much in a groove, you know? And so to disrupt that can feel really daunting. Yes. Um, But it's also the invitation that comes with midlife. Um, Psychologically, developmentally, Eric Erickson talks about like, at this point in life, um, it brings us into this challenge of facing stagnation versus generativity. So it's like, are we going to stagnate mm-hmm. and stay in that safe, comfortable place where we've been? Or are we going to reevaluate and figure out, like, what is mine to do here? What legacy do I want to mm-hmm. leave? Um, you know, how can I make sure I'm living as me and not what society told me I should be? Okay, and so that brings us into one of the major themes and concepts in your book, right, which is that um, you, it's, I wouldn't say coming out necessarily, although there was actually absolutely a version of that, right? You had sort of been out, but sort of exploring that in that sort of like safe bisexual space. I'm going to, those are, that's my term, right? And I think that that was very common for a lot of women in Gen X, like in the 90s, right? Yeah. is I'm in college and I'm kissing girls, right? Like, whatever. And so let me just say, let me just, right? Okay, that. And then, you know, and then. It's a different book. Yeah, it's a different book, right? But so, um, so you, you know, and, and I think that, um, for you, obviously, it was clearly deeper because it didn't, it wasn't just like there was a moment in college, right? It was like, this is yeah. life and this is who I am and how do I fit this into? And this term I hadn't heard before, even though it is an older term um, from Adrian Rich, this, um, is it compet? Is that how you say it or comfet? Yeah, it's compet. Mm-hmm. Um, it stands for, it's compulsive hetero, compulsive heterosexuality or compulsory heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she popularized that term, I think, in the 80s. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> it just basically means that society, sorry, I have a frog in my I know, throat. that's okay. I just had a wasp in my fort, so we're... <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's, it, I opened the door and it went um, out, which was great. <laughs> yeah, compet is something that I feel like a lot of people around my age have, maybe not a lot of people, but a lot of the people that I talk to, um, experienced as a kid sort of this yeah. expectation of like you're straight until you say otherwise or until yeah. proven otherwise so as a kid you know I'm asked like oh do you have a boyfriend or boys will be knocking down the door like that assumption that your partner is going to be of a different gender yeah. or that your attraction is um, is like the compulsory or like habitual or kind of the rule or the norm um, that we sort of put people into and because of that, like, honestly, when I was growing up in like the eighties and being a teenager in the nineties, I didn't really have a lot of examples of, um, same sex partnership and, you know, queer relationships really. And so I didn't know it was an option. I mean, I know I, I had like a concept of it somewhere, but I didn't really know that for me, that was an option, even though internally I knew that I was attracted to girls and Mm -hmm. women. Um, and I didn't, you know what to name it really, but I was dating men and, uh, well, you know, boys when I was younger yeah. and, and men, and then I married a man <laughs> who was amazing. Um, 
And I always had in my mind, like, yeah, I, you know, date males and I'm attracted to women. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe I'm bisexual. And that's what I just sort of thought, you know. And when I met the man who became my husband, Craig, um, that was one of the first conversations we had. And he's like, everyone I've dated is bisexual. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, oh, "Oh, that's interesting, too, right there. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. used to that. He's like, sure. Um, And it didn't seem like it would be an issue until that voice in me got louder around that time where there was like an urgency and realizing like, Oh, I may not experience this in my life. I wasn't someone who was kissing girls in college. And yeah. unfortunately, and yeah. maybe if I had, it would have been, you know, I would have explored a little bit more or known that part of myself a little better. Mm. Um, but coming out later in life, um, well, I won't say coming out because what I experienced is similar to that, but mm-hmm. I was always, out uh, uh-huh. in a way it's something mm-hmm. I did talk about with um even my family but no one really knew what to do with it because they were like well you're already in this marriage so anyway <laughs> yeah. so I, like, oh, right? I feel super invisible yeah um which is a thing they're especially presenting as feminine mm-hmm. um there's something called queer femme invisibility that actually felt so toxic for mm-hmm. me and was eating away at like um at my health honestly mm-hmm. and also at just the idea of not being fully expressed and not being fully seen for who I am. Um, it can do, you know, some psychological damage on people who actually aren't acknowledged for the fullness of their being and the fullness of their sexuality. And that is what got um, loud and urgent, I think, in my 40s. So Craig and I were like, okay, we're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out how to make this work because we still love each other. We have a kid. Um, you know, we had a great marriage. And we're like, okay, this really just needs to take a different shape and look mm-hmm. different. So, um, yeah, so that is a big theme in my book. And while that's my experience of emergence, um, that word emergence means coming into view after being previously concealed or mm. becoming exposed um, for something that is like underneath and real. So, and it's also a play on words like midlife crisis or emergency. I was like, yeah, true. So (laughs) that's really true to how my experience was. Um, And I think it's true for a lot of the people I talk with, whether they are, um, you know, coming more fully into their sexuality later in life, switching careers, moving across the country or to a different country. I mean, I have, there's a whole gamut of Mm -hmm. things that can happen you know, at this time when we're kind of reevaluating and thinking like, what was I conditioned to do versus what is it that comes from me internally? Um, And what do I really want to do? What is the longing? I love that. And I feel like anybody who's catching our conversation can like start to apply those questions. Because like you say, too, this can start earlier in life. Um, This can start in even like just turning 30. You know, I remember Uh even just turning 30 and being like, is this what I should be wearing at this age? And like really just kind of going through uh-huh. my wardrobe and selecting to be like, what does a 30 year old me wear? You know, like how do I, <laughs> right. how do I move into like, I'm going to look different as I age and how do I start to kind of, you know, um, transition into that a little bit. And so, um, yeah. I love to, I just want to go back just for a second to like that major theme yeah. and say, you know, it is in a sense, it's like an upside down coming out story. Cause it's like you had been out, but not mm-hmm. acting on it, which is like the opposite of most people. Right. And so just for a uh-huh. second, like just talk to all of us a little bit about this concept of like that kind of upside down. And, and I, that's my phrase, right? Like I'm coming out like, yeah. a, like a complete opposite to how so many people do it. And you mentioned the invisibility part, right? But going uh-huh. back to that conditioning, right? 
Like you gave yourself permission to talk about it, but not to act on it. Is there anything else you want to share with us about that? Like specific nuance? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I didn't give myself permission Mm, at a certain point. I think in college I was like, or very end of college willing and, um, wanting to like have a girlfriend or act on it once I got out of a relationship with a man that I had been in a relationship with and it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got into a relationship with the man who became my husband. And I think that, um, for me, sexuality really has, and and queerness has so much more to do with an internal state of, um, of myself and how I want to live my life. And like, it's not exactly just about the acting on as sex or um, as intimacy. I think that a lot of times queer people and what we do, you know, behind closed doors, it gets, we get sexualized more mm, than heterosexual right. people who aren't really asked about their sex Those lives. details, yeah. So, um, so for me, I think being queer is really just like who I am and then how that, mm. how that expresses itself in the world. Intimacy has, is one of the ways yeah. that that can happen. And so I do think I was express I was absolutely queer even when married to mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. Um and so I don't know if it's for me it didn't feel necessarily backwards, yeah. but it felt like um there was no like proof of concept. Right. <laughs> There's it. no roadmap um, before, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, that's true. I it's something like I just knew. I just knew about yeah. myself and then once I was intimate with a woman, I was like, oh, this actually makes total sense. I make sense now. Yeah. Um, and that felt confirming for me in a way that um, I think even without that confirmation, which came way later, like I still would have proceeded with, you know, talking with Craig about it, figuring out mm-hmm. what to do about this. Like it was known enough internally, like in really admitting to myself um, what my longing had been and this unmet piece of myself had been. So yeah, I think it's less, less about sex for me. Um, and, and I get why right. it sounds upside down. Cause a lot of people <laughs> yes. don't often come out without right. a catalyst or a mm-hmm. person who shows you that spark and like kind of starts that process in motion. Um, yeah. And, and that wasn't necessarily the case for me. Yeah. Um, but it is for a lot of people that I talk to who are coming out, especially later in life. Um, and I also love the term, and I put this in my book, inviting in rather than coming out, mm-hmm. um, because I think coming out also sort of puts the onus on the queer person to, like, it others them in a way. Oh, yes. You know, I get what yourself. you're saying. But yes. inviting in is just, like, saying, yeah, you get to I see this piece of me. you into yeah. getting to know me, yeah. basically. So. Um, yeah, I like that play on words. Oh, I, I love both, that. But, That's um, very empowering. And I love that you're sharing these distinctions, right? Because I think it's really important for people to really understand all of this. You know, some people like some, uh-huh. some of us will know some of this for through experientially and, and some of us will not. And so like, it's really important to make those part of the conversation. And that's what your book is doing all the time, right? The whole way through this amazing book, Midlife Emergence, Jen is helping us to like, ask these questions. There are all these great queries in there, these rituals we can do at the end of every chapter, which we're going to get into after I say you're listening to WVLP 103.1 FM. We are broadcasting from Valparaiso, Indiana, the Vale of Paradise, a Chicago suburb, and we stream live around the world at WVLP.org. 
Tune In is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. With the mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Find out how you can speak your truth with love at CoachKiki.com. Subscribe to the newsletter to learn how you can help build better humans at buildbetterhumans.substack.com. So again, you are listening to or watching Tune In, and you are tuned in to Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul, and we are speaking with author Jen Berlingo of the book Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire, and this is a beautiful, I'm going to hold it up for people who are viewing, this beautiful, beautiful cover. It's so colorful, which, oh my gosh, and you said that also, tell us just about the cover for a second, because this is also Jen's artwork. Yes, it is. Thanks. Um... Yeah, I'm an artist and an art therapist, and for the last uh, like seven, eight years or so, I've been experimenting with um, alcohol inks. Um, so that's actually the medium for that, it's alcohol ink on UFO paper. And it's just a really fluid, abstract media that it's almost impossible to mess up. <laughs> it's like <laughs> everything I, every everything is beautiful. <laughs> like when you put mm. alcohol ink on paper and just watch it move, it's... Um, very soothing to me and it's very counter to the part of me that wants to control things like Mm. if you're drawing with pencil it's like this is the detail you know but I felt like I kind of moved into working in this way in midlife um, simultaneous to creating and living the story of my book um, because it felt like the antidote that I needed to that part of me that wanted to keep things tight and controlled and so it every time I sat down to paint like that, it felt um, like medicine for me Mm. to just actually allow um, the opening to happen, allow beauty to unfold on the page. And this particular one um, has definitely like a fiery quality to it, um, which is how the last decade has felt for me. And um, it looks like a portal, which is what I feel like this is. And it's very like feminine and inviting. And so, yeah, I feel, um, happy that I was able to use my art for the cover of the book. And um, yeah, I just, it reflects so much about the story itself. Um, At least just to me. It does. Oh my gosh. It It does. I know. And I love that. And I love how you're like kind of deconstructing it too and explaining because absolutely these are the themes that I see. And, and, um, and yet it's, it's very clean, right? It's just like, it's just inviting. I, I definitely feel the same thing about how it it's like a portal. And so oh, thanks oh. for sharing that. Thanks for your description is beautiful. I, I'm doing no justice to it. I will do no justice. I'm going to let oh, your words no, be the great. <laughs> great description. <laughs> so um, let's talk for a second too about some of the things that bookend um, the personal stories that come in through mm-hmm. each chapter. And I have to say too, just being a complete word nerd, I love like the words you've chosen for all the little subheads and all the chapter titles, oh, you know, um, just you. like these one word images that have such depth to them for a second for, you know, people who who haven't picked up the book yet just give us some examples of some of those and I will see if you want <laughs> oh sure yeah I actually made a list of them after cool. I wrote them and then I read it out loud to myself mm. like it could be a poem yeah <laughs> one right um, let me see piss I'm going through dismissed identity counsel confession homesick express interject mm. needs Power, ladies, sex, puberty, um, <laughs> then later in the book. Yeah. Taboos, 
team, nest, marriage, opening, fear, oh, forward, urgency. Yeah, so yeah. Those are just, um, yeah. Like the subheadings inside of yes. each chapter. Yes, and you, she even did this in the beginning, like in the intro, right? And there was one that was like uh-huh. magma, and I was like, oh, that's so compelling, right? It was just like, because that's, and it also like, I really connects to the cover of the book of course right it's just like ooh, this like yeah. bursting forth from within right so oh, so great so on fire yeah thank you <laughs> yes yeah, yes it's felt very fiery I know the volcano yeah. metaphor is mm-hmm. like kind of heavy in there but it yeah. did honestly feel and I start out the book this way talking about like there's this magma inside but like mm-hmm. a dormant volcano just looks like a mountain with yeah. a beautiful village on it. And right. You're like, what is happening under there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to destroy the whole village. Well, I, I love that you said that because the, the other thing I want to bring up is that each chapter also begins with a quote. And the cool. one that, I mean, really like, I, I circled it and I just have to keep going back to it. Um, it's just from chapter one. Just um, the quaking within is the title of the chapter. And the quote is from Muriel Rookeiser. And it says, what would happen if one woman told the truth about her life? the world would split open, right? And so that theme is there. It's so present and it feels like that. It really does feel like that. And I'm sure that males also have their version of this, right? 100%. I think all genders have some version of this. All humans have some version of this, this feeling kind of trapped into some sort of conformity. We have these social agreements, right, in society. Uh And I, you know, I don't want to like hijack the show and start having like a whole tandem conversation on like how like Gen X and like how, you know, just a generation before us, like all queerness Uh was outlawed, you know? And so like that was the first, you know, the first urban cowboys to like tear down that wall and be like, you know, we're here, we're queer, right? And like, that's where that chant comes from. And so, um, and so, and then our generation was the first generation to be like, now what, you know? And you're like, we can talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. Right. And this is my embodiment. Right. And then like, and then how do I live it though? And so I love that you're like, okay, I'm still defining that. I'm still being a role model because you are, if you, even if you don't want to be, and especially with sharing your story. So thank you. <laughs> and so just that observation, right? And um, that's, it's so Gen X to me, which is absolutely for those of us who are going through our midlife emergence right now is, uh-huh. you know, that's where we are. <laughs> yes, yeah. So that was, that was a lot to fire hose, but I just, I'm just like, so turned on by this whole concept and all the things we're talking about. It's just very inspiring to me. I love it. And it really does feel like when we say these things, when we speak our truth then the world does break open. So tell us then right. about some other really important content that you have in there, which is these rituals to help those of us who are using the book as readers to explore where we go. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for saying all that. Yeah. There are a lot of little things that you just said that I'd love to talk about. <laughs> good, but, good. Um, yeah, the book is known as a teaching memoir. It's a genre that's part memoir and part like self-help or personal growth book. So um, as a reader, those are the two types of books that I like to read. So it felt really natural to write something like that. Um, and I feel like when I read other people's stories, they're naturally instructive. They are mm. like storytelling is really how we learn how I learn so much from hearing other stories and it gives like this sort of permission to, um, and this is really what I wanted was like, I couldn't write this without being as raw and vulnerable and honest. And it's a little embarrassing too. Like, I'm like, Oh God, that's in the world. Mm, right. I, I wanted to be a model for that and to show the mess of that. I'm clearly mm. not the heroine in this book. <laughs> um, to invite other people into doing the same, because I feel like that's where we form connection. And then I also, it felt also natural to me as a psychotherapist and an art therapist and a ceremonialist and a coach, 
um, kind of energy worker that I wanted to weave in these like didactic parts, you know, parts that would teach about like this developmental time of life or teach about what might be happening underneath and why. Um, so the book, I mean, midlife is so not linear. Um, and so the book is not necessarily linear. It's my story, but I picked out 13 themes that are sort of like mileposts or topics that um, I've seen in my own life and in the lives of clients and friends that come up. So each chapter has one of those themes. And at the end of that chapter, which talks about my story, some of the teaching points, um, there are prompts for journaling, for art making, and then for like personal ritual and ceremony ideas um, for the theme in that chapter. So readers can engage in all, some, or none of those invitations mm -hmm. because I mean, I feel like we all learn and process so differently, and I wanted there to be a buffet of options for people to dig into, to really look at their own experience. Um, not everyone's going to be excited by journaling. Not everyone's going to want to make a collage or something, mm -hmm. you know, but there's right. something for everyone. Um, so, yeah, there's writing prompts, there's the art, um, there's the idea of creating, like, a midlife emergence altar as you're going through the book to, like, interact with in a different way. Um, ideas for going on walks in your neighborhood and just paying attention to the synchronicities and to nature, um, burning things, finding objects, making little talismans. Um, and there's even a guided visualization in the last mm -hmm. chapter of the book where I provide an audio. So if you have the audible version, it's there. And if you don't, I give the link to it and the password so you can go listen to this visualization that I, um, that I offer and then do some prompts around that. So there are a lot of different interactive, um, pieces to the book that's so beautiful and you know also if you follow Jen on Instagram then she's sharing another more beautiful imagery or some of the things that she has done some adjunct ideas like um you know when you shared the the easter egg um and you had handmade uh -huh. some eggs and you know I just just sharing that also connected to a memory in one of the stories in the chapter that was connected to that and just um that was very fun you know and then there were some journal prompts that you shared with that too so um whether you're yeah. a reader of the book or not you can also be a follower of Jen let's just tell some listeners now where they can connect with you sure yeah so my website is just my name jenberlingo.com um, J-E-N-B-E-R-L-I-N-G-O. And that's a hub where you can branch off to find me anywhere. But mostly um, I hang out on Instagram because I'm really visual and I just feel like I've curated a feed and a community yeah. there that inspires me. So um, yeah, Instagram, my handle is Jen Berlingo. Um, I'm also on Twitter at the same handle, on TikTok at the same handle, and um, Facebook, it's, uh, it's Jen Berlingo Therapy. Um, that one's okay. a little different. So I post, you know, all over there. Um, but mostly, yeah, Instagram, I am providing extra content, kind of just background stories or visuals that go with the stories in the book. Um, I think I posted one yesterday about, you know, wearing these like pink foam roller curlers in my hair when I was a kid and hating it. Like I write about that in the book. There's a picture of me like looking grumpy after my mom took them out <laughs> um, in the morning. So yeah, like I, I'm just trying to provide some like visuals along mm -hmm. with it um, and, and prompts um, and like new prompts that aren't in the book, just ideas for journaling and ways of just interacting with the community there mm -hmm. um, around midlife, because that's actually how my book was born. I, um, I started posting stories in early 2020 about what I'd been going through, just little snippets, and I started getting you know, DMs and comments from people saying, this should be a book, or I want to hear about this, or me too. I thought I was the only one, you know, I got yes. a lot of 
that. So I felt like, okay, this might be the book. So I feel like that community is dear to me. That's great. I I have to apologize to anybody who's watching us because I'm doing all these distracting things with these non sequiturs. <laughs> I've got to open my door now in my little she shed because my computer is overheating. So I got I had to I let the wasp out earlier. Now I've got to let the the, the air in. So anyway, um, but uh, this is part of that real life too that doesn't always go so linearly. Um, that 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 moment that you describe in the story too of like you know getting the owl feather and it was like an invitation to hogwarts mm-hmm. like um first of all i was just so jealous like that I, that sounds amazing like you really got that real life amazing. experience that's so awesome feather that's so beautiful shelf. and that you really got to go and do this retreat with a group of women friends and really kind mm-hmm. of explore these things and kind of create some of these rituals and do some of these things and so um i think it's very exciting too that you have now created a book club pdf for people who want to get together and do this which is so very cool so um just tell us a little bit more about that also sure yeah so um this past month i've been hosting a live book club and but for those who didn't get in on that and that's actually been so fun i might end Good. up having to do it again Good. but i created the next best thing um i made like a really beautiful nine page pdf um that you can download it's 15 dollars. it's on my website if you go to jenverlego.com slash book everything's right there um, how to buy the book how to get the um the guidebook for your own book club or your own group of friends. This is a book that I feel like when it's read in community and you're interacting and talking about the themes and really sharing, it invites like a, a deeper connection with people. Um, and so I feel like reading it in your community in some way um, would just heighten it even mm-hmm. more. Um, I always find that when I do group midlife emergence programs, I do group guidance programs and it really deepens uh, the material. So. I created this um, the PDF that you can download, and it has overarching themes to talk about, about midlife, but then chapter by chapter, exploratory questions, and then um, activity invitations, like for dyads, for like pairs or group work um, that people can do together. And so it's exclusive content I haven't put anywhere else, but um, yeah, it feels like a really nice um, addition to the book. Even if you're reading it alone, it might be a nice addition to the book, but I invite you to read it in community and to um, do some of these things with, with your people. I think that sounds really exciting. Listeners, as you're thinking about that, thank you. As you're thinking about that, I just want to remind you, you are listening to us on WVLP 103.1 FM, or you may have found us at our podcast version, which is anywhere on the podcast platforms. We are Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul. I'm your host, Keila Parkinson, and our show is underwritten in part by Universal Love Clothing. Universal Love Clothing creates beautifully designed positive affirmations and pairs them with the coziest eco-friendly fabrics in the world to bring you clothing you feel good in. Find your perfect fit at universalloveclothing.com. And don't forget to tune in to our monthly conversations with Positively Dave, uh, who is the owner of Universal Love Clothing, one of the co-owners, and um, and just also just wraps himself in positivity all the time, whether it is on, his, on the back of his sweatshirt or um, in his wonderful statements. So um once again we are at wvlp and we are speaking with jen berlingo who is a visual artist and art therapist and an amazing teacher of how to let go re-emerge claim that midlife quote crisis into not an emergency but into emergence and i just think that's so empowering thank you so much again for bringing that to us all and for writing this amazing book midlife emergence Free your inner fire with its beautiful cover also. (laughs) So pretty. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Jen, 
we've talked about some of these rituals and some of the amazing quotes and everything. And, um, and there's this, everything that's in this book. And I, I feel like this is just sort of, um, it's a very feminine thing to do, right? It's a very, um, very woman thing to do, which is to wrap all of this in spirituality. And, um, oh. and to me, and I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, there is something amazingly empowering and simultaneously dangerous and scary about doing that. And so I don't know if that yeah. resonates with you at all, but if it does, tell us why. <laughs> it does resonate. Mm. Um, I think that, well, for me, I've always been uh, considered myself a spiritual person. I didn't grow up religious necessarily, and I write quite a bit about my relationship to that in the book. Um, but I think that everything, um, all of my like self inquiry work and personal growth work has been through this like soul led mm. quest or uh, seeking that. I really, I was really after in my 20s when I went to graduate school for uh, transpersonal counseling psychology and art therapy at Naropa University, which is a Buddhist-oriented school in Boulder. And um, we studied mindfulness. Mindfulness was like a third of the of the program, mm-hmm. really. We um, had a lot of training in holding your seat and really being with yourself and being mm-hmm. tuned into yourself while you're sitting with other people. And I don't think I could do the type of um, coaching and therapy work that I do without that foundational piece of knowing how to um, poise my experience in the present moment between what I'm experiencing and what someone else is. And I think that really helps to keep my nervous system regulated and to co-regulate with the person that I'm working with. Um, So sorry, I guess that was somewhat of a tangent. Oh, no, that was good. I know, right? We're going to (laughs) bookmark that and come back to it. Yeah, (laughs) that was good. Spirituality for me, though, has just been a really personal thing that um, that I also describe in the book around more like earth-based, earth-based spirituality and thinking about like there was like a witch in my hometown, this legend of this witch that I loved when I was a kid. Um, I I was like, I'm her, you know, (laughs) really connected to this idea that she was this really powerful healer um who worked with plants and you know was like a medicine woman in her Mm -hmm. village and women at the time um who had those powers and were really claiming uh, claiming their own bodies claiming their own health i mean this is really linked to reproductive Mm -hmm. um, justice as well which Mm -hmm. is a whole other tangent but they were tried as witches um though this is you know 1500s and And this is a historical um, um story a legend in your hometown by the way right this is yeah this is like a real thing a real legend Mm -hmm. um the witch of pungo her name was grace sherwood um and i i distinctly tell her story in the book but she was tried by water they tied like a bible to her um wrists and ankles and threw her overboard and she got loose and they said like if she dies then she's not a witch if she drowns and if she is a witch if she gets um, if she loosens herself then she is a witch and she'll go to jail Mm -hmm. um and she you know, untied herself and set herself free twice. So they were like, okay, so it's either jail or death. Like, yeah, or, you know, right. it wasn't that awesome. Right. But that whole fear, I think that it is something um, like for living a more subversive life, for claiming your own sovereignty, for being empowered around your own healing. Um, these are things that like patriarchy has not necessarily allowed women to be. So these subversive aspects of self, like, mm. I feel like I have an internal fear sometimes of, you know, being burned at the stake or being drowned in the in the pond like she did. And um, just for living a life that's like other or that's queer mm-hmm. or um, 
queer in some way, even that's just queering everything. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm really working to reclaim and to love, not just accept, but like to love about myself and other people. So, um, and it's a story I hear a lot to the women's circle that you spoke yeah. of um, in the beginning that I talk about throughout my book. That was definitely a theme that came up for so many of us in that in that room. Um, just that fear of persecution, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, in one way or another. So I feel like that is the type of spirituality that I'm looking at these days um, for myself is really just like living what's true and not letting the conditioning, the cultural conditioning or religious or familial um, keep that intergenerational wound festering. Like it's time for it to stop. Yeah, and naming it, right? Naming it, like, lets uh-huh. it go. <clears throat> you know, to say that I this feels scary and I'm doing it anyway. And and then trusting uh-huh. to see, like, is the world safer? <clears throat> kind of in the yeah. same way as, like, being openly queer, right? Like, the same thing. Like, and uh-huh. then how do we do this? How do we all love each other, right? Which I think is a yeah. great question to ask. And I, you know, it really is a race memory. I hear a lot of um, healers, whether, you know, of, of any gender, again, say, you know, um, it feels wrong to, like, use earth medicine or whatever. I'm afraid, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think it really is a race memory, almost regardless of what race we come from, that there, we could be tried at the stake or whatever, this metaphorically yeah. or for real, right? And, and of right. course, it's more pronounced than in um, people who have inherited, you know, African-American slavery and that kind of injustice and have even more of these um, handed down stories that are real stories, right. the things that really happened, right? And so, um, yeah, so I just think, you know, it's not weird. It's not crazy to feel that way. It's really important to say, like, it comes from somewhere, even if I didn't experience mm-hmm. it right now in this lifetime. Like, it's a thing that happened in history that I could be afraid that could happen again. So, um, yeah. so that makes what you're doing also <clears throat> even more empowering. Here we go. And both of us are like, <laughs> we're going to use our voices today, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love that too, right? Yeah. Actually, that's one of the themes that you also mentioned in your book, right? As um, when that comes up, like when your throat closes and like something, it's been a pattern throughout your life and like speaking up for yourself. So um, I'm still going to circle back to that beautiful uh, mindfulness practice that you learned at Naropa. But um, can you talk also about this throat chakra thing we're both having today? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's been a lifelong um, journey for me. I learned about the chakras when I was 11, and I remember reading, um, at the time, I think it was Carolyn Mace, mm. it was one of her books was the first that I read, and then later, Anade and Judith, and looking at um, looking at the psychology of the chakras and really realizing that a lot of the developmental things that went on for me in my life added up to this idea of me having a deficient throat chakra, which is the fifth chakra, Vishuddha, um, and it is something where I mean I have all of the um symptoms of basically like I get laryngitis easily yeah. I have hypothyroidism I have you know um I lose my voice immediately if I'm in a loud place trying to speak mm-hmm. like at a concert or a bar or restaurant yeah. where people ha- are having to speak up I will get laryngitis right away um yeah so and it my voice has never felt full completely mm-hmm. like I feel like I talk from my throat rather mm-hmm. than lower down so I've um, actually, before I recorded my audio book, I worked with a voice therapist, um, not so much on 
changing how I would do it. I was like, oh, I feel weird about my voice. I have such mm. a weird relationship to my voice mm. in a lot of ways. So a lot of our work was around just acceptance of what is. It's not like going to change, you know, in a month's time to go record this thing and sound like a totally different person. No, True. Um, but really just like looking at what's underneath that and why. So that's just been a very big point of healing um, for great. me in my life. And that chakra is really about self-expression and expressing your truth and having like the truth of what's in the chakra below it the heart come up and out through the through speech um and through expression in general but like this bottleneck like that Mm -hmm. phrase that we have you know um sometimes that will close up and so i do work to like you know either with meditation or visualization or reiki i'm a reiki master so doing like energy work on myself to open that up and to allow um, my true expression to come forth. Um, it's something that I have to be mindful of Yeah, regularly. I love, you know, see, I love how you're talking about all the different levels of awareness, right? Because I think that's one thing too, that's so great about this book also is that it's giving us permission to <clears throat> bring our mindfulness, our awareness practice to all the different levels, right? The, um, the yeah. energetic, right? And the physical and how they are you know, connected. And then to that mental piece of just like, okay, you know, but I want to change it. Well, that's not reality. Right. And like, and so <laughs> right. I've got to accept the reality of what I, what I have. Right. And you yeah. have a beautiful voice, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thank you. yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so, all right. So now if you're, if you're ready, let's go back for a second to that point that you mentioned that, um, that I think is really important too, about, um, it, what you talked about to me sounded really very much like um, boundaries, first of all, and also empathy, right? And boundaries around empathy. So like empathy uh-huh. kind of also, again, from that um, physiological standpoint of just like a lot of mirror neurons, right? Either that you were born with a lot right. or that you needed to develop a lot in, in infancy, right? And so all those mirror neurons get really fired and wired and turned on whenever you're connecting to <clears throat> a client who is having some experience that may or may not also resonate with you and and so then how do you notice that and notice the client and I just think that's such a powerful thing to do and and so if you're willing and if you think this is actually realistic can you also share how people can do that in day-to-day life because I think that's a really great practical application right there that is something different that our um, subscribers and followers haven't heard yet Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can <laughs> summarize three years of the graduate. Yeah. <laughs> but I, can, I can say that um, what we were taught, I believe, I hope I have these percentages right. I okay. think that I do, um, is to keep 80% of your awareness on your own experience and 20 on the other. Ooh. And that's not to tune out what's happening there, but it's actually to use your whole body as an instrument for picking up what's happening in the room and trusting like, Oh, that makes my stomach uneasy when Mm. she says this or whatever that might be. That is also information. So it's this idea that like what's happening in the space between two people or among a group of people. Um, it's larger that it's like paying attention to the whole context of that. So I use my whole body as an instrument Um, I talk about this actually in my book of like having a soft front and open heart and a strong back. So like keeping, I think of the strong back as like, um, I think this is a Brene Brown thing, a strong back, soft front, Mm -hmm. but I add a little piece in, but kind of my, myself, my core, like the part of me that is feel solid. The soft front is just the tenderness and the empathy. Um, I just like came in with, I will cry at everything. Mm. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I don't know if you do the Enneagram, like a type four uh-huh. okay. like poster child, all of that. And then I try to picture 
these energetic wings of mine um, mm. in the space, like almost like a satellite dish picking up on what's happening in the room. So while, you know, I'm tuned into a person and tuned into what they're sharing, it's really like looking at everything that's happening, thinking about the energy of the space, thinking about what they're bringing, what they're not saying, what the longing is underneath what they're saying, like what are they really wanting here? Um, what's not being said? Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's some of the way that I work with it. Um, I know that it's probably different for everyone. <laughs> My colleagues yeah. um, may have different ways of doing that, but that's sort of a space I put myself into. So yeah, I think using that in daily life is um, really helpful and grounding in not abandoning yourself. Mm. And I think that that in general is a the theme of my book too, where it's like, mm. I would rather disappoint someone else than disappoint myself because my not abandoning myself or my truth is actually modeling for them that they can do the same thing. Um, which is like a big reason I wrote my book for my kid, my mom, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people that I know to, to kind of give permission through just witnessing my doing it that like, you know, the self abandonment actually doesn't bode well for anyone in a circumstance, even mm -hmm. if the truth is, you know, could be painful. So yeah. anyway, that veered off from the mindfulness piece that you asked me about, but it just made me think about that. Yeah. I love that too. I wrote down, don't abandon yourself. Right. I mean, like, cause that's what a powerful statement, what a powerful takeaway for anybody who's having, you know, any part of this conversation, like just, don't abandon yourself, whatever that looks like, right? Like what parts of right. yourself have you suppressed and um, what parts of yourself are you settling for? What parts of yourself are you afraid of speaking out about? Um, what parts yeah. of yourself are you just co-mingling with others with all of your empathy and no boundaries, right? And so right. I love that. Don't abandon yourself. I think that's um, <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> mm. Listeners, you are listening to WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, Indiana, streaming live around the world at WVLP.org. And we are speaking with Jen Berlingo, who is a visual artist, an art therapist, so many other things as well, but also the author of this amazing book, Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire, with a beautiful cover that she designed through, um, not watercolor, but alcohol color. Yeah, it's so pretty. I love you're holding it up too. Um, it's so gorgeous. And, um, and we've been talking about these amazing themes and these things that we um, have mentioned. And one thing we still haven't mentioned that is also really woven in is um, the astrology piece, right? And how you talk about astrology in some ways that I haven't really heard it. Like, so um, just give us a little, give everyone else a little taste of, of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not an astrologer, but I have consulted with the same astrologer since uh, when we start working together, like 2005, I believe, um, annually on my birthday. Just as Fun. like it was sort of the first gift certificate was like a birthday gift, and then I just met with him ever since. He actually is also an Europa graduate, mm -hmm. um, who I didn't know in school. He was a few years ahead of me. His name's Eric Myers, and um, I've had other awesome astrology readings too. So I've learned a bit through doing those about, um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about the astrology of midlife, I guess, since that's what's pertinent here. Um, my 41st birthday, or, or 42nd, no, I think it might have been my 42nd birthday reading. It's in the book. I don't know why I'm <laughs> blanking on that. No, it was my 42nd, um, because I was starting to feel all of these, like, the invisibility of my queerness and what do I do with you know this wonderful marriage that I have happening and like my family not wanting to blow everything up um and I brought that into my um birthday astrology reading with Eric and I told him 
here's what's happening. And he just laughed and he said, well, you're right on time. This is perfect. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like crying. He's like, and he's like, well, astrologers call like a midlife crisis, the Uranus opposition. Mm. And that's when the planet Uranus is halfway across the Zodiac from where it was the day you were born. It usually happens around the 42nd birthday with a few years before and after it where you'll feel the effects of it. And what the effects are, is that Uranus is this planet of like freedom and rebellion and revolution and really coming into like having the truth be exposed mm. um anything that you've repressed making it visible and it will call you on it if you're not doing that so you know he was sort of chuckling because it was like exactly what I described um and he was like well you have a choice point here it's mm -hmm. not like you have to do all of those things you it's just a wave it's like an opportunity uh, you can catch the wave if you want there's an opening here to live in a different way on the other side of the run of opposition in the second act of life um you can do it you can follow that and do something differently or you can choose not to um and karmically it might come around in another lifetime if you believe mm -hmm. that so that to me was really validating because like everything he described back to me was so on point with how I was feeling and I was like okay that something that is happening down here is actually happening up there too like, yeah I don't know what this is yeah but um yeah and then I learned a bit about the lunar nodes and I talk about that in my book mm -hmm. um that we all have a north node and a south node so we know about like our sun signs usually but there's a moon sign and there's a rising sign and there's mm -hmm. this idea of the lunar nodes um and the north node is like your highest aspect of like what you're growing into in your life um what your fullest potential could be and it's usually kind of scary to read about your north node when you find out what it is it's like oh god i couldn't be that or who am i to you know like it just feels like ah, mm. um a little and then the south node is your karmic past it's like what's comfortable what's familiar what you um could stay in and be totally fine but it's really just what your comfort zone is um and yeah for me it was right it was dead on <laughs> like it was totally it's what not was funny. happening for me but it made me always think about that quote um i think it is who said your comfort zone can kill will kill you oh. <laughs> like yeah it's true yeah like, i felt ready to take the invitation that midlife offered to at least just explore and see what else could be it's like this is the one lifetime i'll remember i wanted to wring it dry and you know, experience the juiciness of it. And that urgency that you talked about earlier was so up for me that I almost couldn't turn back from the seductive, mm -hmm. like, pull of um, learning more about myself, of figuring out how I wanted to grow and evolve past where I was. That's so amazing. It's so cool. We have another um, recurring guest that we have is Sister Sage, Reverend Rhonda Shenley, um, who is a friend of mine, who um, she performs uh, something called, um, oh, now I'm forgetting, Divine Astrology. Yes. I was like, oh, <laughs> Divine Astrology. And um, so they're just different terminologies for these things, right? And so um, that same thing you're talking about, the, the Uranus, um, the whole arch of it, like they call it the dragon's head and tail. And, um, and the same thing, Reverend Rhonda comes on and she does, as Sister Sage, she does this great kind of channeling of uh, what is the astrological forecast for the year. And so she comes on annually. Yeah. And we happened to do it in 2019 and she was telling us about 2020. And 
it was so creepy. And so listeners, if you haven't, like, go find that episode because it is insane because you're like, wait, 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 this is all literal. Like, there was, it was like, middle of the year, statues will come down. And I was like, what does that even mean? Statues will come down. Right. Well, they literally came down. It was like so <laughs> insane. I was like, wait, yeah. I've never had such a literal reading before. So she's come on as a regular guest. And I just think it's so fun to have these sort of like markers and to think about this concept uh-huh. of sort of like, you know, the microcosm, macrocosm, as above, so below, right? And just sort of like, Uh there are energies, there are things that happen. And so why not catch that wave and ride that fire, right? And your midlife and really move into, um, you know, and I think it used to be called midlife emergence, right? It used to be more, it was called um, midlife something there was some other term for it i believe i i've read this before like before in the 1940s crisis. yeah before crisis in the 1940s yeah. and beyond it was called something like um midlife completion or something and it was really about how you okay. would finally leave your parents and the mm-hmm. um, structures they had provided and you would set up your own yeah. for like your grandchildren because yeah. they would have been born by then. And it's just this whole crazy concept, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I remember like, um, you know, talking to a client of my own about that and being like, Oh, do you know, this is a thing, someone who was older than me and going through it and being like, Hey, what about this idea? Right. And so it's so yeah. attractive. Like you said, it's so seductive to be able to say like, there's this other option and it's really empowering. And so um, there are a couple things we haven't talked about yet, even though we really need to wrap up very soon here. The conversation goes so quickly, which I love. Um, And one of those is like, um, readers really could say like, buy the book and find out. But like, what's the deal with you and Craig, right? Like for people who haven't read, right? (laughs) What happens to to Jen and Craig? Because we haven't even told people about that. Sure. But it's so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like, you know, what you have shared in, in the book and like, you know, um, how that has played out because we talked about how you, you know, had this recognition yeah. and then we haven't shared, you know, how it's played out. So sure. how that unfolded. <laughs> yeah. Um, we explored the idea of open relationship for a little while in theory and then, and then in practice in some way, at least on my part, he wasn't um, ready for that or wanting to do that. And we thought that that might come into play but mm. we quickly realized um for me when I began dating a woman that um it wasn't necessarily the way we wanted our marriage to look yeah. um and so we did a lot of reassessing it actually happened right around last when lockdown began in 2020 mm. um I had been dating the woman I'm still dating Diana at for about five months at that point and um we decided during the beginning of lockdown not to see each other for a while because she had a roommate who was on the mm. front lines so and mm. we didn't know what yeah. COVID was and yeah. all of that. And we lived about an hour from each other. So it was like, Just okay, to well, add a whole layer to this whole thing you're going through, right? Yeah. <laughs> the global yeah, layer. Right? Yeah. And so I'm like in the house with Craig and yeah. our kid and um, we just were able to have a lot of space and time to process and think about what, um, what we wanted to do. And we were like, well, I don't know, marriage is paper, divorce is paper, we know and who we are and how we love each other and how we're a family in this life, like regardless of the structure of it. Mm. Um, and he's really taught me that love really looks like freedom and the idea mm. of like supporting each other and being the freest versions of ourselves. So we're like, okay, that's probably what needs to happen. So we went through a lovely divorce, <laughs> if that can be a thing, and it, it can. Um, but when I say that, I'm not saying it's easy. Like, right. I mean, I get on the verge of tears even talking about mm-hmm. it. Like, it's, I'm very tender about the whole thing. We just had dinner together last okay. night. As a family, we have a dinner together every week. But he and I had a dinner date last night. Like, we're still best friends. Yeah. 
Um, we did a recommitment ceremony mm-hmm. right around the time our divorce was being finalized on the spring equinox of 21. Gosh, it's been over two years. Wow. Um, and that was beautiful. We just spoke kind of new vows to each other, just the two of us. Yeah. We invited anybody. Um, what we're going to be to each other going forward as family. And, you know, he lives right down the street. And um, I feel really, really fortunate about that relationship, um, just about having him in my life and how we've been able to grow through this, actually, and really become closer in a way, mm-hmm. even though it is hard. It's hard to tease out, like, how do we, how are we friends? <laughs> we yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're co parents and, um, yeah, so that's, I don't know, kind of the short version of yeah. What's the deal with me and Craig? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like it's a reality show. I love I love that actually. And honestly, I have to say that was my favorite ritual in the whole book was like just, you know, well, you guys doing that. And I think that, you know, um, for hetero couples um, going through midlife emergence, right, divorce is a common part of that. And so how do uh-huh. you then um, maintain a friendship and do these types of things? And it, it definitely can't be done. So thanks for modeling that too. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had talked about you doing some readings, but um, let's see. We have about we have about five minutes. So is there any passage that you want to read to us from the book today? You don't have to, oh. but you can. <laughs> or I anything else we need to know. offhand. Okay, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that, um, yeah, part of also, we were talking about going into spring, and yeah. I was just reminded of that by saying our ceremony yeah. was in the spring equinox, and it was about, like, renewal, um, like, growing into something new and renewing like renewing the self really Mm. like um and in order to do that how much we have to let go of and I think that's also a big piece um and I do have like a chapter where all the themes are devoted to you know the idea of letting go and there's this Mm. quote um I swear it haunts me on social media and I and it's unattributed I don't know who said it but it says like your new life is going to cost you your old one Mm. and I see it all the time and I'm always like ah (laughs) it's so true and it's so hard I think um because in even in growth and in like moving closer to yourself and closer to your truth you're letting go there's grieving there's letting go of something that needs to die in order to yeah. make space for what's being born and that's just the cycle of seasons cycle of life that you know all of the cycles the tides go in and out right. it's how we breathe inhale exhale there's always like yes. a birth and a death um yes so with this process like talking about you know my relationship with craig and um and just moving into like being more me there's also alongside of it been the grief of um, what is no longer, you know, so it's like I can be elated and totally grieving in the same moment. Yes, <laughs> um, and, that's right. You know, having all of the feelings, which yeah. is actually my goal for um, life. Like my mom's always like, I just want you to be happy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was a lot more than happy. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. Um, wholeness over happiness. Right. And um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry if I cut you off. No, you okay. didn't at all. I was just thinking about the letting go and the yeah. seasonal piece, so I wanted yeah. to bring that in. It's so beautiful. One thing I wanted to just observe is that um, another testimony to your bravery is that you had a good life, right? And that it wasn't yes. that you were, you weren't, like you said, there wasn't like somebody who drove you to this, you know, and there also wasn't somebody who drove you away from where you were, right? Like, and that was right. part of what was so difficult in making the decision for you um, to to catch this wave is um, that you knew what you were leaving and you liked it. And so, yeah, yes. couldn't it be good enough, yeah, right? Yeah. Is- 
really hard. It's yeah, really hard to leave something really that's hard. going well and yeah. on paper makes total sense. And yeah. like the thing that I'm moving toward isn't even on paper. It's <laughs> yeah, straight. it's like, scary. That's no extra idea scary. What this could be, <laughs> but I'm going to jump off and see. And yeah. I think um, a lot of the clients who come to me, whether they're in groups or individually, are like, I don't necessarily want to, you know, let go of the whole life I have yeah. or jump off of a cliff and do the whole thing. Like, I like who I am and yeah. I like my life, but there is something I'm logging for and I don't know how to put my finger on it. Mm. So can you help me find that? And, um, it, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to make this giant life shift of, you know, marriage and career yeah. and sexuality and all the things that I did. Yeah. You don't have to burn down the house but, to get, you know, <laughs> to add the new there piece. There is a longing or a yeah. yearning in each one of us for that part that hasn't been unearthed and it's like wanting recognition and visibility and connection and so that's um at the crux of my work Oh, it's so beautiful. You can find her at jenberlingo.com. You can get the book at jenberlingo.com slash book, and you can access all of these amazing things. Jenberlingo, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Kayla. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. We'll see you later, meditate.